All right, joining us now is Jeff Weaver. Uh, he is out with a new book, How Bernie Won, uh, Chief of Staff for uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, campaign manager for the 2016 run. So, Jeff, great to have you here. Great to be here. Great to be here. Yes. So now, uh, the book is called How Bernie Won, Inside the Revolution That's Taking Back Our Country and Where We Go From Here. So, of course, the first question you're going to get in every interview oh, is, <laughs> is, what do you mean, Bernie Won? I know it, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, look, when we started the campaign, you know, he was at 3% in the national polls. Mm-hmm. He was articulating an agenda which the mainstream media and the establishment was calling extreme and radical, things like a $15 minimum wage, Medicare for all, uh, tuition-free public colleges and universities, massive uh, investments in infrastructure, criminal justice reform, uh, uh, expansive immigration reform. All these things were considered to be on the fringe. And what we saw during the campaign is this incredible groundswell of people at the grassroots who came out for this agenda. And in fact, now this is the official agenda of the Democratic Party, by and large. I mean, you see candidates running across the country on Medicare for all, $15 minimum wage. I mean, who in the Democratic Party opposes $15 minimum wage? And people outside the Democratic Party as well. We're seeing in red states, people coming out for ballot initiatives for $15 minimum wage. You know, some states have started to uh, toy with free, free tuition at public colleges and universities. So... In that sense, Bernie did win, and we've sparked a movement, and he sparked a movement, and all of us have become part of a movement. Uh, you see people running all across the country who would never have run for office before, and it's not him alone. You know, there are other uh, grassroots movements as well, but it has all sort of coalesced into what I think is a very exciting historical moment uh, where we really can take back the country from the sort of corporate interests which have dominated it for far too long. Yeah, I want to get back to how we finish that revolution in, yeah. in a minute, but... Uh, First, uh, I totally agree with your thesis uh, because I interview progressive candidates all the time now. Um, n- almost none of them will say that they're not for Medicare for all, right, right? right? You're absolutely right. There's no one who will say that they're not for a $15 minimum wage. Uh, and, and to me, the, the crowning moment, in a sense, w- was Gillibrand, Booker, and Kamala Harris coming out and saying no corporate PAC money. Right. Uh, I mean, and now Gillibrand with an actual progressive bill on the post office serving as banks, Booker uh, with a legitimately really progressive bill about guaranteed jobs. Of course, Bernie had one that's even larger. Right, right, right. right, uh, right. But and the post office's banks thing was, again, that was something that Bernie articulated during the 2016 campaign. That's uh, right. As a way to help save the post office. So, and you're, I agree with you that there are other f- factors, our revolution, PCCC, Democracy for America, Just Democrats. And so the Just Democrats pushed Medicare for All in the House, got o- helped with over 70 co-sponsors. And, and so when, but the reason I bring that up is when we started saying no corporate PAC money, and back right. then I was involved in the group I'm not now, um, people said, you're nuts. That'll never work. No right. corporate PAC right. money? Right. Nobody's going to sign up for that. Right. So when you saw the Gillibrands and the Bookers, et cetera, going to that, did you think this is how we win? Well, this is how the American people win because, you know, I was on Capitol Hill for 14 years. And for far too long, you know, the people with the money have had the access. I mean, this guy Mulvaney just the other day said, you know, I talk to the lobbyists who give me money and I don't talk to the ones who don't. And that people understand that. And so it creates a really uh, terrible culture on the Hill where, you know, where are the people's lobbyists? People, don't, people can't afford lobbyists in that traditional sense. And so a lot of people get access, and it, not only on particular bills, but it helps tilt the whole discussion on Capitol Hill about what's possible, what's plausible, what we can get accomplished for the American people. So if we can sort of start breaking the, the back of, of that kind of corporate money, 
will go a long way to fixing what's wrong with this country. Totally agreed, but can Bernie win in 2020 without <clears throat> Bernie winning? Uh, that's a good question. Well, I, I would say, first of all, I would say we are winning. And we're winning in the, when I say Bernie, you know, Bernie is in many ways a representation of all of us, of this, yep. of this movement. And he has not decided whether he's going to run again in 2020. He hasn't decided not to run. He hasn't decided whether he is going to run. So we'll see what happens there. I obviously am a big proponent of him running for, for truth in advertising. Uh, but yes, can we win? Yes. I mean, I think something has started that if we nurture it can really sort of take back the country. And you see that the grassroots, I mean, it's, it's legislative candidates, congressional candidates. I mean, they're just, it's all over the country. So people are coming to those positions. But if Bernie doesn't run, can we trust another candidate to actually deliver on those promises? Well, look, there's going to be a big field probably on the Democratic side. I think everybody thinks that. Uh, the question is going to be is who, who will be an authentic messenger for this type of reform, this type of political revolution? And we're just going to have to see who's in the, in the mix, and folks are going to have to make their own decisions about who they think is the most credible. I clearly, you know, people who are generally talked about as potential presidential candidates are all trying to occupy this political space. So people are going to have to make a judgment about who's authentic and who's not. Yeah. Well, if he's in the race, I think that that's fairly clear. <laughs> right? well, look, obviously, you know, he is an authentic messenger of this. I mean, I've been with him for 30 years. He's articulated the same message the whole time. So. Right. You know where he's at, and other, you know, you'll have to make judgments about other candidates, about how, yeah. how new to this they are. So you have been with him a long time, from 86 on. Yeah. Um, is, how old were you at that time? I was uh, 20 years old when I started. So you started with Bernie when you were 20? Yeah. Okay. I think that's true blue. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I put in my time. Yes, you have. Uh, and, and it's been worth it. So um, then let's say... We just talked about it. What if Bernie's not in the race? Let's talk about what if, what if Bernie is in the race. Right. How do you finish it? How, how do you win the primary? How do you win the general election? Well, look, last time we started at nothing, and we ended up with 43% you know, of the delegates, which was an incredible accomplishment, accomplishment given the sort of opposition that we had. So I think what we have to do is you know, we start there, and then we have to build out. We have to add more people to our coalition. You know, one of the issues that we talk about a lot in the book um, is that Bernie, at the beginning of the race, did not have a lot of support among certain communities, African-American community being one. Over, over the course of the campaign, that grew exponentially, right? So uh, recent polls have shown him to be the most popular active politician among African-American voters. So I think uh, folks are more open to having a discussion about him as a possible president. So it is about broadening the base, uh, bringing even more people into the coalition that uh, all of us are trying to create, uh, and sort of pushing that rock like just a little bit up and over that, over that hill. So mm -hmm. it'll be an incredibly difficult campaign if he decides to run. Obviously, the corporate interests will pour in. I mean, how much money would they pour in to stop Bernie Sanders? I mean, Almost an infinite amount yes, of money. exactly. And because he's the real threat. If, if you get money out of politics, well, then all the lobbyists are in a world of trouble. Uh, but more importantly, the people they represent are in a world of trouble. What if you actually treated the pharmaceutical industry in a way that's fair to the American people. Right, 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 right. right. They don't want that. So, no. I mean, when you think about, from their standpoint, the amount of money that they make uh, and excess profits they make and how much they would not make, like, they'd spend a lot of money to keep Bernie Sanders out of office. And they will, and they will attack him viciously. Yeah, it'll be vicious. So, 
Well, let's talk about that a little bit because in the book you talk about uh, that he resisted uh, the engaging in a media that thrived on negative campaigning. He did. It could be argued that it hurt him a little bit. So it could be argued that it helped him a lot and, and people trust him and et cetera. But he wouldn't say when they, Anderson Cooper asked him 17 times over, did Hillary Clinton change any of her positions because of the money that she received? Right. We all know it's the bankruptcy bill, let alone systematically almost everything. But he wouldn't say the bankruptcy bill, right. even though right. he knows it's the right. bankruptcy bill. Right. So did that hurt him? I don't, look, I don't think it did. And I would say it in this way. We had a, a, a big challenge in the campaign, which was to introduce Bernie and a set of ideas, which, as we discussed at that time, were considered novel, let's say novel, uh, <laughs> to the American people. And what we found is, is, as we introduced him and those ideas to the American people, people came to him, right, in large numbers. Uh, and so it is very difficult in a campaign like that to go, quote-unquote, negative, because people don't know who you are, right? And so it's difficult for them to, to make the sort of comparisons and process the information. So we made a decision early on, and this was largely due to Bernie and Jane not wanting to go negative at all. They don't like negative politics. To just articulate his message, bring it to the American people, uh, and to not engage in the kind of uh, personal attacks that most of these campaigns do. So we did that. The other side did not do that. You know, They used David Brock and a bunch of outside organizations to go after Bernie uh, in a very negative and personal way. Uh, but we resisted that, and we talked about the issues. And, you know, on the whole email, you remember, you'll remember the seminal moment at the first debate when yeah, you wrote yeah. your damn emails. That's right. Um, you know, what the point that Bernie was making was, look, there are a lot of problems facing the American people, right? The wages are too low. People don't have health care. The environment's being destroyed. And those issues are not getting any discussion. All we're talking about is Hillary Clinton's emails. And whether that's an important issue or not, people can debate that. But it should not consume the entirety of the political discussion in a presidential campaign, right? At the end of the day, people are not going to vote on those emails. So I think that overall he was uh, enormously right about that strategy because it lent to the feeling that people could trust him. Right. And, and, and everyone knows he cares about the policies. And the TV guys look at that with some disdain, like, oh, this guy's yeah. wasting his time on policies yeah. when he should be doing the nitty-gritty of political attacks like on the emails. Right. Right. Uh, but whereas the voters, especially younger voters, think that focusing on policy is a huge advantage. Absolutely. Right. Now, having said that, um, I think that part of saying, hey, you guys are taking PAC money and corporate PAC money, and that influences you is still policy enough, but it has an edge to it that clarifies the difference between Bernie and the others. And I only ask is if he's going to run, and they're going to throw everything at him, right. just like right. you and I think that they will, of is there going to be a counterattack at all? Yeah, well, look, so we did put up a defense, and we did highlight the fact that his campaign was funded by a small grassroots donations, average donation, $27, everybody knows the number. Right, so we were, we were very clear we focused on that. We had a big focus on the Wall Street speeches that Hillary Clinton, the transcripts, she wouldn't release them. We certainly focused on that. That was a lot in his. And that was, it's not so much about this, the transcripts themselves, but it was, you know, it was about a bigger point, obviously. Yeah, of course. Uh, and we later learned why they didn't want the speeches out, because what was in them was not all that flattering. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So, you know, we played, uh, a, I think, a tough policy-focused game in the campaign. Um, you know, are there are people who think we should have thrown more elbows. Uh, I think we probably got it mostly right in the context. 
Yeah, got you. So let's talk about democratic politics as they stand sure. today. So Bernie is kind of part of leadership. <laughs> yeah, oh, he definitely is part of leadership. Senate yeah. leadership, he's part of the yeah. Senate leadership, yeah. Right. Well, I say only kind of because they kind of invented a role for him. But he's there, and he's in the meetings, and that, I think, could make a huge difference. Right, but it's a, see, but it's a role they should have had all along. And so mm-hmm. when you say it's a role they created for him, uh, that, that is empirically true. But what is also true is that it is a role that they should always have had, someone who can reach out to people in the country, right? Because they get very isolated up there on the hill. Well, it's kind of like when Anderson Cooper started doing Keeping Him Honest as a segment. Right. And John Stewart joked, shouldn't that be the whole show? Right, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it'd be nice if they were all in touch, but it's right. good that at least Bernie's in the room. Right. Um, but uh, what, what's your sense of how that politics is playing out now? I mean, I know that the, the people who are likely to be in the presidential race are moving left because they sense right. where the voters are. Right. But the overall party doesn't seem to quite be there yet. Is that a, a fair assessment? Well, and again, this is a sort of big theme in the book, the, the sort of 2016 uh, race in a sort of historical context. You know, since FDR, the modern Democratic Party, has been a party of moving toward greater inclusion, greater equality, and then we had this sort of aberrational shift in the early 90s in the presidency of Bill Clinton, where the party sort of went away from its historical trajectory, right, to this new, what they call the new Democrats. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the 2016 race, in many ways, and now what we're seeing in the Democratic Party, is that fight playing out between the people who want to get back to the FDR legacy uh, and to return the Democratic Party to its historical trajectory, and those people who want to cling to this sort of failed new democratic, you know, Democrats for the leisure class. Remember the DLC, Democratic Leadership? <laughs> we used to call them Democrats for the leisure class. Uh-huh. Like that, that kind of politics, that sort of pro-corporate uh, politics, which, you know, again, which Bill Clinton practiced as President of the United States, where he essentially ripped, ripped away uh, working class people from the Democratic Party with bad trade agreements, and then in order to uh, try to win them back, triangulated with all kinds of, you know, crime bill against black people, DOMA against gay people, uh, welfare reform against poor people, right? That's the only way that politics works, which is that kind of mm-hmm. triangulation. But so, so that's where we are right now, and that's what you're seeing. It's a sort of hangover from the 90s. You know, can we get the party back to where it is, again, on that, that sort of FDR trajectory? And so you're seeing that play out. And I think um, the forces of wanting to get back to where the Democratic Party should be, I think, are winning. Now, there are certainly elements that are resistant to that, uh, I understand that, but we're going to keep that fight up. It's important. You're winning in terms of momentum, um, but I would argue right now it's still Bill Clinton's party. Well, if you talk about the institutional party, right, uh, the institutions of the party, in many ways that that's true. And, you know, there's a uh, professional class that sort of surrounds that party, many of whom were, you know, once worked in the party and now are outside the party, which sort of reinforce that whole uh, system. But, you know, what you really need is you, if you had a president, because a Democratic president is, in fact, also the head of the Democratic Party, who can then say, this is the way the party is going to run. So when you elect a Democratic president, uh, you are really also uh, voting for a platform of reform within the Democratic Party. So I think during the Democratic primary, I think it would be important, obviously, to talk about the issues, the national issues, but also what these candidates are going to do in terms of reforming the Democratic Party. I think that that... That's why Democratic consultants might actually be your largest opponents. So if Bernie Sanders becomes the head of the Democratic Party and he actually means what he says and he looks to get money out of politics, those consultants are in a world of trouble 
that is a bigger threat than Donald Trump to them. Because with Donald Trump, they raise more money, not less money. Right. With Bernie, they might be out of a job. So how do you fight the entrenched consultant class? Right. And I don't want, look, I don't want, we had consultants on our campaign. So I don't want to tar all consultants with this. You know, there are, uh, I would say like in every profession, there are competent consultants and there are comp consultants who are not so competent. There are consultants on the right side, consultants on the wrong side. So, um, you know, and let's be clear, if Bernie Sanders were president of the United States uh, and we had a, he was controlling the Democratic Party, we would still have to compete with the Republicans, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and they're going to have lots of money until we overturn Citizens United. Like, you, you can't fight, as I say, you can't fight atomic weapons with pitchforks. So you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to be on TV. You're going to have to do all the stuff that you do now. So, but what you are not going to do is have a party or a uh, set of policies which are beholden to the donor class. That's what you have to do. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of people in the consulting community. I think you do good work. There's a lot who are, you know, just sort of milking the system. So uh, it's about getting people in there who can perform, right? I mean, you know, if you look at Divine Malvi Longabaugh, you know, they did our TV ads. I think everybody would say that they were mm -hmm. pretty good. Certainly yeah. without them, we would not have gotten where we, yeah. where we went. You know, our, our pollster, our Revolution Messaging, who did our, who did mm -hmm. our online fundraising. I mean, it's, you know, we just had a number of a really good f folks working for our campaign, but they were all quote unquote consultants. So, right. I mean, I, I resist sort of tiring them all, but there is a sort of, what you're saying is a sort of a professional interest in making sure that the Democratic Party spends money. But, you know, I think what you need to do is you need to have a process over there where people have to compete for contracts based on performance, right? Let's get people in there who actually win races. Right, and not obsess about the 15% commission on TV ads. Yes. Right. So, Obama talked a good game on getting money out of politics, and I would argue then he did almost nothing uh, when he's in office. So if Bernie were to run and he were to win, would he be laser-focused on an amendment to make sure to, to get money out of politics once and for all? Well, you've got, to get, you've got to get a Supreme Court that's willing to overturn Citizens United. That's what you have to do, right? I mean, that's the key. So once you do that, then you can pass legislation that will regulate money in politics. That's, so that's the goal. I mean, obviously what Trump is doing is exactly the opposite. He's throwing people on the Supreme Court who will support Citizens United. So we, have to, we, ha we need a president who's going to be committed to doing that. And then we can start uh, passing the kind of legislation we need, including public financing of elections, uh, to make sure that outside interests. So you need, you need quote-unquote, money in politics. Like, candidates need to be able to communicate with voters, right? And that does cost some money, right? Because... Voters need to know where the candidate stands, and so they can make a decision about the candidate. So that costs money. You need to be on TV a little bit, uh, not as much as people are now, but you, it does, that does cost money. The question is where that money comes from and what's the impact on the political process of where that money comes from. So we have got to make sure that that money comes preferably from the public coffers so that no candidate is beholden to a special interest, right? So one other way to do it other than the Supreme Court is to call for an amendment that ends the private financing of elections. A constitutional amendment. That's right. 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 That is an alternative. Yes, you could amend the Constitution. And uh, there's been some discussion of that. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that Bernie would be, we have, I haven't discussed it with him personally, but it seems like something he would be favorably inclined to. Yeah. My sense of it is that the progressive base would love that. Right, uh, right. And that, because that's real change. That's systematic change so that we don't have to rely on one person. It, no, exactly. And, it, you know, and that's, that's, a, that's an important uh, point that you just made because it is not about one person. And I think Bernie would be the first person to say it's not about one person, right? Uh, you obviously, when you have a governmental system, you elect one president. But it is really about a mass movement of people, right? That's where the, 
the power has to lie. So you mentioned how the Republicans will attack, uh, and they, boy, will they ever. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So um, a lot of people in this town think they'll say, oh, Bernie's a socialist, Bernie's this and that, and too old. And, and, and hence, I don't think they even realize how strong Bernie's base is. Right. I think that they're generally dismissive, which I find to be hilarious, given that he's clearly the leading candidate, et cetera. But how do you address their concerns about the general election and withstanding the Republican attacks? Yeah, look, whoever gets nominated is going to come under withering attacks from the Republicans, most of which will be complete BS, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you've got to do is you've got to be able to stand in there. But I'll, I'll tell you what, what gets you by that, because uh, I ran his 2006 Senate race where we ran against a self-funding Republican who had tons of money, who attacked Bernie for coddling child molesters and being soft on terrorism, right? <laughs> right, and of course, the typical kind of like, you know, the typical kind of attack. Uh, and the reason why we were able to withstand those without returning negative fire uh, was because Bernie had a, po- a set of policies, a policy initiatives, and had generated enough faith with voters that they stood with him, right? They knew it was BS. Uh, the problem is, is when you have candidates who are not really connected with voters, who really aren't offering an agenda that helps the voters' family, it's much easier to pull voters away with these kinds of scurrilous attacks, Right. So I think when you look at somebody like Bernie, you know, people, whether they agree with him or not, and, you know, sometimes people vote for people they don't agree with. Obviously, George W. Bush became president. If you, if you polled his positions, they were wildly unpopular. Yeah. Um, but if you look at somebody like Bernie, people understand that he is an authentic messenger for what he is presenting. And that means a lot to voters. And I think we'll uh, do a lot to make sure that he's not, you know, hit effectively by these by these negative uh, false attacks. I mean, I can't tell you the number of Republicans I meet walking down the street who say, you know, who recognize me, who say, you know what, I didn't really agree with your guy, but I got to tell you, he, he, he's, he's like an honest shooter. He's a straight shooter, you know? Uh, look, I say it all the time, and, and they don't believe it, uh, but I see it in the comments, I see it anecdotally, I see it in all the numbers. Uh, Republicans respected Bernie way more than they respected Hillary Clinton or any of the other Democratic Right. Uh, uh, party officials, and, and even more so for the independents. And so I, I would have voted for Bernie as a comment I get all the time, with one exception, Washington, D.C. Right. <laughs> That's the only place right. that I don't get that comment. Right, 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 right. So, but let's talk about those independents. So the old school, Clinton-esque uh, school of thought on, for the Democratic Party on getting to independence is be Republican light. Uh, be for corporate tax cuts, but not as much as the Republicans. Right, right. Uh, what, is, what would be Bernie's plan for reaching independence? Well, you see, again, and, and that's the sort of old-school binary thinking about politics, right? That there's just a line, there's Republicans, there's Democrats, and all these people here who are independents are in the middle, right? But that's not true. I mean, what we're seeing increasingly is that young people are independents, like overwhelmingly independents, but they're Democratic-leaning. So it is really... Uh, People who view politics like that are completely out of touch with the way politics are operating in America today. Independents are not just moderates. Um, and if you, you, know, if you pair, parse down the independents, you find that one-third of them are Republicans, one-third are actually Democratic-leaning. The younger ones are overwhelmingly Democratic-leaning. And so that is what you do is you appeal to people uh, based on the needs of their families, right? And that's why Bernie comes across as an authentic messenger, that's why he did better with "quote unquote" conservative Democrats in the primaries, um, because people knew he was going to stand up for them. Right? That's why he gets twenty-five percent of the Republican vote 
when he runs for office in Vermont because often they're rural people, um, you know, who have hard lives, and they're like, you know what, this guy, I don't agree with all that, some of the stuff he's saying, but you know what, he, he's down there fighting for me. Yeah, I, I think that that comes across, and, and also because since he doesn't take the corporate money, they know that right or wrong, right. He, it's his real positions. A- absolutely, and that, mat- that matters a lot to voters. You know, in our increasingly virtual world, people are looking for authenticity in people. Yes, yes. Uh, look, that's if you want to know how to succeed online in anything, media, politics, it's authenticity. And the great right. thing about authenticity is that, by definition, you can't fake it. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. And so you had to have already had the same policy positions for the last 40 years. Right. Good luck trying to fake that. Yeah, no, right, right. right. No, you may remember there was a point in the campaign when Hillary's people said they were going to try to make her more spontaneous, right? Like, <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. So let's talk more about the campaign because that's sure. uh, you know, a lot of what the book's about. So how did Bernie close that lead? I, I always thought it was near miraculous uh, and that he closed basically a nearly 60-point lead. Yeah. Now, he didn't take it all the way, but at that point, Hillary Clinton had huge name recognition. Yes. I actually think that was her number one advantage with African-American voters. Not because yeah. they had anything against Bernie, they just hadn't right. heard of him. Exactly. And, they, and they'd heard of her. Uh, so, that, so you didn't, never got full credit for that in the mainstream media. I mean, closing a 60-point lead in a year is insane, unheard of. Yeah. So what was the, the magic to that? What was the secret to that success? Yeah, well, there were a few secrets to that. So uh, first was Bernie himself. So if you look at the primary, on days when there were five or more states having primaries on the same day versus states where there were fewer than five, he did much, much better on the days when there were fewer than five because he could go in and spend a lot of time in a state. And the more people saw him, particularly in person, uh, the more people came to him. So his personal presence meant a lot to voters. He did a lot of big events, as you know. I mean, there was a, remember a story from Michigan where they were like, Bernie Sanders was going to places that no candidate has ever gone before. So that meant a lot to voters, and that really helped bring people uh, into, into uh, the campaign. So that, I would say that's uh, number one. The other thing I would say is that, you know, it takes time for voters to get to know somebody, right? And we were, in the summer of 2015, the media called it the Summer of Sanders. We were having all these gigantic rallies. People were like, oh, he'll never, they'll never, they'll never uh, vote for him at the end. Um, but, in fact, they did. The other thing I would say is, look, traditionally progressive candidates are underfunded. We raised as much money as Hillary Clinton did through small grassroots contributions as she did in, on the hard money side. Now, she had a super PAC, which was also doing stuff for her. But on the hard money side, we raised as much money as she, she did. And that is the first time, I think, in history that that has happened. And what it shows you is that when a progressive vision is offered in a f- relatively fair fight uh, with the establishment vision, it is successful, right? Uh, and I think that is the lesson of the campaign. And so... For people who are grassroots donors out there, it matters that you support progressive candidates with your small-dollar contributions, because otherwise they can't win. And it's actually much harder for the non-Bernie people. Yes. Because he ran in a presidential campaign where there's a huge spotlight. Yeah. Uh, and the local guys don't have that, right. that advantage. So that, and that's why if Bernie were to be the head of the party and he were to institutionalize that kind of grassroots giving right. or even just get money out, that would... That would right. be enormous, no, game-changing. No, no, it would be tremendous. And then you would have a party that is supporting people with grassroots contributions, would be supporting progressive candidates uh, with the kind of resources they need to be successful. I mean, I see, you see it every day. I mean, I see a lot of polling, uh, even from particular campaigns. And it is always the case that the progressive candidate, when you 
poll and then you read their biographies or their platform, they like shoot ahead. But they often are so underfunded that they can't, they can't compete. Um, and that's what we were able to do in the campaign. And that was due to the generosity of people all across this country. I mean, in that sense, they owned the campaign and they were responsible for its success. So you, you mentioned responsibility there a little bit. And does Bernie have a heavy responsibility to run given that a non-Bernie progressive would have a very hard time catching up on, on name recognition alone, let alone uh, all the other deficits that they would come in with for funding, et cetera. Right, right. Well, look, I know he's weighing it seriously, whether to run or not. So, and I don't want to, not only have I worked for him, but, I, you know, he's a friend of mine. And so I don't want to put sort of public pressure on him to do one thing or another. Uh, I do think there are, would be a number of advantages if he did win. Obviously, he starts with a base of support in all 50 states, District of Columbia, and the territories, right? So that's, uh, he has a name recognition that's, uh, you know, nearly universal, right? Which is a big advantage uh, that he starts from. But, you know, he starts with some negatives, too, right? The expectations would be very high for him from the media, right? There would be an intense spotlight and immediate attacks from all corners against him. So, you know, it would be a tough race. And, I, and you know, do I think he should run? Yes. Do I think he'd be a great president? Yes, I do. Uh, what, do I think he would transform American politics? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, you know, he's a friend of mine, and he'll have to make that decision himself. Sure. So if he were to make that, he's going to make the decision one way or another. Sure. I guess um, time frame is, is what some folks are wondering. I'm wondering. Um, so would that happen in either way, yes or no, in January of 2019? Yeah, well, you'll have to, see how, we'll have to see how it plays out. I mean, you know, right now there's probably, you know, if you've considered everybody who's kind of vaguely thinking about running, there's probably 100 people running, right? And as you get closer and closer and you have to do real things to make that happen, the number, you know, ding, 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 yeah. goes down. Uh, and, you know, I think by the fall you'll see some people positioning themselves. You know, in 2007, I think uh, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama had both announced by February of, of 2007 you know, will the race start that early this time? Hard to know. Um, but, you know, you do have to start putting some pieces in place in order to keep the door open. I, you know, and I think a lot of people are sort of putting pieces in place, not because they're 100% committed to running, but knowing that if you don't put them in, then you've foreclosed running. Right. You, then you've run out of options. Right, and exactly. right now, a lot of folks have a lot of options open. Bernie's yes. certainly among them. And whether it's January or February, it's going to be early 2019, whether it's Bernie for yes. the, or the others. They're yes. all going to have Absolutely. to go. Absolutely. Right. That makes sense. And, and so uh, one last question in that regard, because sure. you, you guys did this already. And that's, again, how Bernie wins the book. And it's a part, largely about that. So can a non-Bernie progressive win the Democratic primary? Yeah, I think, look, if you look, at the, if you look at where the candidates are positioning themselves, I mean, it is going to be somebody who's running on a progressive platform. Now, again, people have to judge the authenticity of the candidates on a, on a case-by-case basis. But if you look at the platforms that are being articulated by people who are often talked about as running for president, they, they look an awful lot like what Bernie ran on in 2016, much more so than what Hillary ran on in 2016. So, but I mean a candidate that you can actually trust is going to deliver on those promises. Can that person, without Bernie's name recognition, win a primary? Yeah, I think they can. I think they can. I mean, if he's in the race, obviously, I think he takes up all that oxygen. But um, if he is not in the race, can somebody else who articulates his vision win? Yes, I think they can. It's harder. It is harder. There's no doubt about it. So then to finish that thought, 
how would they win? What would they have to do to recreate that energy? Well, what they're going to have to do is go out and present themselves and convince people that not only are they for a progressive agenda, but that that's an authentic, that they're authentically for it. Right? That's what they're going to have to do. And then they're going to have to put together the grassroots space that he put together. They're going to have to put together the grassroots fundraising that he put together. I'm not saying, is he, look, we did it once. I, I'll tell you, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. You'd have to reinvent the wheel in a sense. Right. right. Whereas the wheel exists already for Bernie. Right. Right. Well, that's just the reality. Yeah, I know. I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> no, no, no. I, and it's a genuine thing because if Bernie decides not to run and no one knows right. other than Bernie whether he's going to run or right. not, then... Well, maybe he doesn't know at the moment. Yeah. Right. And, and he's got to make that decision. Uh, for the progressive base, they're going to look for whoever's actually authentic. Yes. And, and then can that person build up quickly enough? Right. And that will be a protracted and incredibly difficult fight. And I don't know whether they can win. It's, yeah. I'd, I have it at 50-50. Yeah. For Bernie, I have it at 80-20 at least. Right. So that's a giant difference for progressives. Right. Are we going to have a much better chance of winning or about 50-50? Right. And, you know, I mean, the thing for, about Bernie is, is he's always been on the quote-unquote outside, right? And so those candidates who try to sort of straddle the progressive wing and the corporate wing, like that's a very difficult dance to to, to do. It's, you know? it's hard to thread that needle. Yeah. That's right. Well, whoever runs, they should probably read how Bernie won. Yeah, give us some pointers. <laughs> That's right. All right, Jeff, thanks for coming. Hey, I really always, appreciate always it. Always a good time. Thanks.